Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. 1 Samuel 13 at verse 15. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people who were present with him, about 600 men. Now Saul and his son Jonathan and the people who were present with them were staying at Geba of Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. And the raiders came from the camp of the Philistines in three companies. One company turned toward Ophrah to the land of Shual, and another company turned toward Beth Horon, and another company turned toward the border which overlooks the valley of Zeboim toward the wilderness. Now, no blacksmith could be found in all the land of Israel, for the Philistines said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. So all Israel went down to the Philistines, each to sharpen his plowshare, his mattock, his axe, and his hoe. The charge was two-thirds of a shekel for the plowshares, the mattocks, the forks, and the axes, and to fix the hoes. So it came about on the day of battle that neither Sword nor spear was found in the hands of any of the people who were with Saul and Jonathan. But they were found with Saul and his son Jonathan. And the garrison of the Philistines went out to the pass of Michmash. Now the day came that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come, and let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. And the people who were with him were about 600 men. And Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord at Shiloh, was wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to cross over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp crag on the one side and a sharp crag on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other, Sinai. The one crag rose on the north opposite Michmash, and the other on the opposite, the south opposite, Geba. Then Jonathan said to the young man who was carrying his armor, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. His armor-bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men and reveal ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand in our place and not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hands, and this shall be the sign to us. When both of them revealed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, the Philistines said, Behold, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. So the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor-bearer and said, Come up to us and we will tell you something. And Jonathan said to his armor-bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has given them into the hands of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet with his armor-bearer behind him, and they fell before Jonathan, and his armor-bearer put some to death after him. The first slaughter which Jonathan and his armor-bearer made was about twenty men within about half a furrow and an acre of land. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, and among all the people. 
Even the garrison and the raiders trembled, and the earth quaked, so that it became a great trembling. Now Saul's watchmen and Gibeah of Benjamin looked, and behold, the multitude melted away, and they went here and there. Saul said to the people who were with him, Number now and see who has gone from us. And when they had numbered, behold, Jonathan and his armor bearer were not there. Then Saul said, Ahijah, bring the ark of God here, for the ark of God was at that time with the sons of Israel. When Saul talked to the priest, the commotion in the camp of the Philistines continued and increased. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him rallied and came to the battle. And behold, every man's sword was against his fellow, and there was very great confusion. Now the Hebrews who were with the Philistines previously, who went up with them all around in the camp, even they also turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the men of Israel who had hid themselves in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines had fled, even they also pursued them closely in the battle. So the Lord delivered Israel that day, and the battle spread beyond Beth-Avon. This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Saul, you'll remember, is now the rejected king. He has been told by the Lord that his kingdom would not last. He um, saw, or Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom of Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not endure. So he, uh, he knows that his, his reign, his kingdom are coming to an end. And God is seeking a man after his own heart to, uh, to take up the kingdom. Now it's very interesting isn't it, at this point in the story that it turns to Jonathan. I mean, Saul's been rejected as king, then it goes to the king's son and focuses on the king's son. And all we learn about Jonathan is that he's a noble, faithful, God-fearing man. He would make a good king. But his father's sin has, has forbidden that. And his kingdom will not endure, and it will be given to another family. So though Jonathan, um, it's, it's almost like these chapters are proving the worthiness of Jonathan to point out the failure of Saul, his father, proving that the son would, have, would perhaps have done well by God's grace. And, um, and so we see his faithfulness. But then we also, through the rest of the story, we see the, the relationship develop between the son, Saul's son, Jonathan, and the, the king that was put in Saul's place. Jonathan is, is as committed to David as Jonathan's armor bearer was committed to Jonathan in this story that we just read. Right? So um, that relationship that develops between Jonathan and David is extraordinary given What's happened, given the rejection of Saul, given David taking Jonathan's place as the king. And um, David says that Jonathan's love was better than the love of a woman. Their relationship is so strong. Saul's family has been rejected. Jonathan seems resolved to this. He seems 
resign to it, and he will do what he can to serve the Lord. Now, the oppression of the Philistines is depicted by the absence of blacksmiths. One of the, um, one of the afflictions that they brought upon the people of Israel is take away their blacksmiths because blacksmiths make weapons. And they didn't want them to make weapons. So how humiliating that when you need farm implements sharpened, you have to take them to your enemies to be sharpened. I mean, it's humiliating. It's, it's abject um, oppression. And uh, they have no swords except for Jonathan and Saul. Jonathan and Saul have their weapons, swords and spears, but the rest of the men do not. They're not allowed weapons. Um, <clears throat> so the circumstances are dire for Israel at this point. And their deliverer, Saul had sinned. So they're especially dire. The one who was raised up to deliver them has, has sinned. Uh, unlike the, the greater deliverer that would come who would not sin. Um, sin wrecks everything. Sin, sin wrecked the kingdom of Israel. Sin um, destroys. But one deliverer and only one deliverer never sinned. It wasn't sabotaged with the reign of Jesus Christ, the King. But now we, so, so the circumstances of this time period are depicted at the, the end of 14, or 13. And then we, we turn to 14 and it's, it's focused on Jonathan. And really it's focused on the faith that Jonathan has in God being a deliverer. And God being able to turn tables and God being able to um, give victory even when the circumstances are dire. Uh, you think of the contrast between Saul and Jonathan as we go through the upcoming chapters. Jonathan is proving faithful. Saul is proving unfaithful. Saul's sins are increasing. Jonathan's commitment to the works of the Lord are increasing. Um, in, in, this, in this section, we, we see that Saul is in the outskirts of Gibeah under the pomegranate tree in Migran. He's got his 600 men with him, um, but he's, he's hesitating to act. Uh, and Jonathan, by, by faith, acts alone, essentially. He has his men, Saul does. Jonathan has no one but his armor bearer and is willing to uh, take it to the Philistines. Um, Verse 1, come and let us cross over to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. He said to the young man who was carrying his armor. And these, these um, it's an interesting thing. I mean, the armor bearers were essentially to assist, uh, assist the main man, carry weapons, carry armor, um, but also enter into battle with them and fight right alongside them. So here's this young man hearing Jonathan express his, his faith in God. And you think he might get a little bit nervous. Verse 6, Come and let us cross over to the garrison of those uncircumcised. Right, so he's seeing, Jonathan is seeing things as they lay out. These are not God's people. They are not blessed of the Lord. These are the uncircumcised. The uncircumcised that, that God has said 
will be removed from the land. And so come and let us cross over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will work. Perhaps. Perhaps the Lord will work for us. For the Lord is not restrained to save by many or by few. Now, what is faith? And I'm not not speaking of of saving faith here, um, though that is perhaps uh, the initial part of this way of thinking. Um, Faith is is to think that God is able. Nothing's impossible for God. That that part of faith, that's the, the faith I'm talking about now. Faith is believing that God is able to do far more abundant, abundantly beyond all that we ask or even think. Right? That's faith. Believing that God is God. Believing that God is powerful. Believing there is nothing that can hinder Him. Um, he can do far more abundantly beyond what we think or what we ask. And so, uh, so I'm talking about, in, in Jonathan, we're not talking about the saving faith, the faith that saved him. We're talking about the ongoing exercise of faith in God for those who have been called by him and regenerated, right? The ongoing exercise of faith. What do, how do believers um, exercise faith? Faith in God as sovereign, as the sovereign providential king who orders everything that comes to pass. Faith in God. Um, It stands out to me what Jonathan says here in that one little word, perhaps. Let's cross over, perhaps God the Lord will work for us. He may not, but perhaps he will work for us. Um, this is not prosperity gospel stuff, is it? Um, name it and claim it. Get your faith up to 100% and put God at, sh- at your beck and call. Put, put God in your obligation. Right? Prosperity gospel tries to put God at your obligate at 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 an obligation, trying to um, force God's hand by pushing faith to a hundred percent. Jonathan has it right, and he says, "Perhaps, perhaps the Lord will." Um, will work through us. Perhaps He will work for us because God is not restrained to save by many or by few. There's the principle. right? God can do this or that. God can save by one man. God can save by 300. God can save by a multitude of armies that you can't even see that are hidden. right? God, God can do these things and perhaps He will do it this time is what he says. Is this faith? Is this faith? Or is that building in some doubt? 
Turn to, to Daniel. Daniel chapter 3 at verse 10. There's a very similar circumstance, uh, but I want to point out to you what the friends of Daniel say. Uh, where is it? Uh, 3.10. That's two. There's three. And Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image of gold, 60 cubits high. That's like um, 90 feet up in the air, nine stories. He set that up, and everybody's supposed to bow down and worship it. You, O king, have made a decree, and, and then, the, you know, the, the, um, the king's counselors come to him. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, I'm, I'm pretty sure they did not have bagpipes back then, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego then these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast in the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Well, God can save by many or by few. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king, but even if he does not. Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up, right, because they'll be dead, but they won't. But look at that. Add along to Jonathan's, perhaps, this statement by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But even if he does not, we're not going to bow down and worship. He can deliver us. He is able to do it. That's the principle. And he may. But even if he doesn't, we will continue to worship God. We are not going to serve your foreign gods. And again, is that... You know, the prosperity gospelists would say that that was, that was a clear lack of faith and God is going to destroy them for not having 100% faith. Well, they're not destroyed. Um, one of the commentaries I was reading said this, Many in our day think that to say perhaps cuts the nerve of faith, that if faith is faith, it must always be certain. 
must be dogmatic. It must be absolutely positive. Faith, however, must not be confused with arrogance. Jonathan's perhaps is part of his faith. He both confesses the power of God and retains the freedom of God. Faith does not dictate to God as if the Lord of hosts is its errand boy. Faith recognizes its degree of ignorance and knows it has to read a transcript of the divine decrees for most situations. All this, however, does not cancel but enhances its excitement. Who knows what this omnipotent God may be delighted to do against these uncircumcised Philistines. It it enhances the excitement, enhances the faith. They're willing to go into battle with just a perhaps God will do. But they go into it with a God is able, perhaps he, he may. Think of Abraham and the sacrifice of Isaac. We don't know the faith of Abraham until the Holy Spirit tells us about it in Hebrews chapter 11. Where, where we read this. Hebrews eleven seventeen By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offered up, was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, And Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So there is Abraham willing to go sacrifice, which seems sabotage, but he goes with this in mind. God is able to what? God is able to raise people even from the dead. Now that's not what happened. Right? God is able, and perhaps I will receive Isaac back. Of course, you know, he doesn't die. There perhaps was not what Abraham had in mind. Perhaps I'll receive him back after he's sacrificed. Rather, God provides a substitute in his place. God was free to do as he determined, right? Even though Abraham goes into it with, he's able, to, he's able, he's powerful. He can save by many or by few. It's the same sort of faith. It's the same statement. God can bring him back from death. But he acts a different way. Abraham, Jonathan, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego had the faith that said God is able and the humility to acknowledge God's freedom to act in whatever manner pleased him. And we, we often fall out on, on two sides of this. One side is God is able and must act the way I know he's able. When we begin thinking like this, God is able, he must do this. This is, again, prosperity gospel. This is arrogance it leads to foolish action. It leads to foolish action. God's going to do this and watch me now as I, as I enact His will in this particular manner. 
It denies the perhaps. It denies the but if not of faith. And then the other side is this. God won't, don't try. I don't know which side you're on. um, But I think most of us would probably fall on that side. God won't or God isn't able. I mean, that's really what God won't leads to. So we, we won't try. And that's faithlessness. It leads to inaction. It leads to stagnation. It, it, would, be, uh, it would be Jonathan saying, nah, second thought, that's stupid. Which denies that God is able to save by few. It denies the power of God. Um, both of those things, the, the, the one side, God is able and must, and God won't, don't try, both lead to self-reliance. The, the first side makes God an errand boy for the self. The second side leaves all action to self because it says God won't. And so it's self-reliance. Both of those things. Faith says, first, God is able. Second, perhaps he will. Third, but if not, we will yet praise him. It's the faith of Job. Deliver me. He cries out to God for deliverance. Would you make this end? But if not, if he slay me, I will yet hope in him. Right? If he slay, if he kills me, if he takes this all the way to the end, I will yet hope in him. Nevertheless, he says right after that, I'm going to argue my ways with him. I will argue my ways with him. I will pray. I will pour out myself before him. I will will call and ask him to do what I know he's able to do. But if he slay me, I will yet hope in him. And so do not doubt that God is able. But don't forget that God knows what is best at every moment for you. So you may get some fixture in your mind of what you expect God to do. But you have to remember, yes, God is able to do that, but he also knows everything. He's omnipotent. He knows what's best for you. And he will give you that. God is able. I mean, I think about this in respect to the work we do in, in, in trying to outlaw abortion in South Carolina. God is able. God is able to do that. Perhaps, perhaps he's going to do it through the little, um, the little, the few of personhood South Carolina. You know, through the prayers of this, this church. Um, so let's keep at it and cross over to the garrison of the Philistines. Perhaps, perhaps God will do it. But if not, we'll, we'll continue to pray. We'll continue uh, to trust in God. We'll continue to look to Him for everything. So, so faith is, um, I just put down some words here. Faith is like sober imprudence. It's thoughtful impetuosity. It's humble confidence. It's wisely impulsive. It's like contradictory, right? It's a paradox, this kind of faith. But all faithful action is based upon the undeniable character of God particularly that nothing is impossible for God. Um, 
God can, I mean, this is what we say, God can and he may. God can and he may. I mean, not to get too, uh, too personal, but God is able to strengthen Madeline, and perhaps he will. But if not, we will acknowledge his goodness and we will praise his name. Right? We must. This is adding faith to faith. This is adding faith to faith when we say, but if not, we will hope in him. God can and he may. James, another example of this that, that just comes to mind is... is um, James 4.13, come now you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Well, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. It's, it's really a modest thing, right? If the Lord wills, we'll do this or that. But the, but the name it and claim it, the boastful, arrogant kind of faith that is not commendable, says, this is what's going to happen, this is the city, and this is how much profit, and God's going to do it. And God says, not so fast. You're just a vapor, and you'll be gone tomorrow. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will all live, we will live. If the Lord wills, we will live. And also do this or that. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm finding it funny. You're not. That's my first point. Here's my... Here's, here's the second thing I want to draw out of 1 Samuel 14. This was such an encouragement and a rebuke to me. So often behind the actions of a faithful man is the deeper faith of his first lieutenant. The captain of the ship groans under the, the weight of responsibility. Right? And... What brings the captain's strength to act and to trust in God is the willingness of those under him to carry out his orders. When, when those orders seem to ignore dire circumstances, right? to have a faithful armor bearer, to have a faithful first lieutenant, is, is a great encouragement for Jonathan, for anyone in, in authority. His armor bearer said to him, think of these words, verse 7. His armor bearer said to him after this, this, um, this speech by Jonathan of, you know what? <laughs> Perhaps God is going to um, work through us, for the Lord is not restrained, saved by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, have you considered that we are two men and that is a garrison? 
Because you know it's, it is the place of the first lieutenant to make sure that the captain is, is giving the right orders, right? No, it's not. It's not. It's the, it's the place of the first lieutenant to carry out the orders of the commander. And he says, his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart, turn yourself, and here I am with you according to your desire. Oh, the faithful loyalty of that man. Do it, and I am with you. There's faith, right? There's faith. I mean, Jonathan is a dreamer, but, but this guy's got to go with him and bear his, his armor. And he says, do it. Go as your heart desires, and, and I'm with you in this. Now, there are very few people like this today. And you may think that I say that all the time. And I do. But there are very few faithful, loyal first lieutenants, armor bearers. We operate with, we operate, I'm going to say this again. You're going to get sick of me saying this. We operate with a learned hatred of authority. It's just the orientation we have. The baby boomers have taught us well how to hate authority. Okay? We operate with this learned hatred of authority. Discernment bloggers, I won't say it again, whine about anybody who actually has discernment. Facebook Social media, Twitter, have made critics of every one of us. It's made us critics. We have, what does Facebook exist for, but to express opinions about things that you know nothing about. It is developing everybody into critics. And so our general orientation toward those who have faith is, Well and good, bless your heart, but have you thought about this? Well and good, but you know, I have experience in this area. And, I mean, it's not deep. But this one time, you know, I was in this situation once. And let me tell you, this is how it went. And so you should, you should probably not oppose abortion in your state. Perhaps the weakness of the church today is not that we lack Jonathans, but that we lack armor bearers. We lack armor bearers. Perhaps God is, has not put you in charge. Then likely you are in the position to be the armor bearer. And you can say, and you can say this, you can say, do it, I'm with you. Do it, I'm with you. Let's go. Not, not have 40, 40 sort of <laughs> hesitate, you know, just slow down, you know, what are you, cra- I mean, we can't do this. Halting, critical opinions. 
Not even Jesus went into his work without armor bearers along with him. The father said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? The father comes in and encourages Jesus in his work. The angels minister to Jesus, right? He sweats blood in the garden of Gethsemane. And then afterward, the angels come and minister to him, to help him, to bear him up, right? To give him encouragement. The Holy Spirit rested on him. The Holy Spirit's with Jesus, accomplishing this work with him in redemption. And so, I mean... Let's repent of our hatred of authority. Let's repent of our cynicism, our fear of action. Let's repent of our silence. Let's repent of our lack of faith and be the armor bearer to other people that God has raised up. Wives, wives, you are in this position to your husbands. Do you nag your husband? Do you nag? Are you like the, the, the dripping water that, um, that we're told about in Proverbs? Do you tear down your husband? Do you make him doubt? Do, do you slap him with a constant list of your... Have you considered... Do you know... Um, or... Or do you simply at points, at points, say to him, I'm with you. Do what your heart desires. Oh, to have have a wife like that is glorious. I'm with you. Do what your heart desires. Children to parents. Right? Children, be armor bearers to your parents, to your older siblings, right? It's not a battle. It's not a competition. Be an armor bearer. Be an encouragement. Employees and employers, right? Be an armor bearer to your boss. Don't be the nag. Don't be the constant critic. Do as he desires for you to do. Say, do it. Um, I'm with you. What you desire is good. Church members. Church members. Encourage your elders and your officers. I'm with you. This is good. This is a good pursuit. Um, Now there are times, right, when, when the armor bearer should warn Jonathan. Right? Should say you know, turn this direction or go this way. He should actually command Jonathan, right? The, the faithful wife whose, whose husband has commanded her to commit wickedness should say no, right? right? And should say no for this and this and this and this and this reason. And it says in God's word, no, right? But that's those, those times are few and far between. Far more often, we're in the position of just doing something good that we need courage for or doing something good that we need, um, we need somebody along us who's, who's supplying us with, with strength. Be 
you know, God raise up more Barnabases, son of encouragement, more faithful right-hand men. And, and, and may we be like those men. I mean, I think of how many times God put me in the position to be the armor bearer, and I was worthless. I was worthless to the one who was bearing responsibility. All I did was attack the one who had the responsibility and who bore the weight. All I did was that. I didn't come along and say, your desires are good, I'm with you. How many times have you done that? We've all done that. Let's repent of that. Let's be willing to be the first lieutenant, the right-hand man, and we're not all the captain of the ship. Right? You don't want to be the captain of the ship. The captain of the ship is miserable with worry. Because everything comes down to his command. Right? All the responsibility comes down to him. What he needs is courage. What he needs is encouragement. What he needs is, is the, the, the faithfulness of this armor bearer to Jonathan. I mean, do all that is in your heart. Turn yourself. And here I am with you according to your desire. But we just nag and whine and moan about those around us. Even the ones that we really even like and love, like our family. We destroy the hierarchy that God has put in place. And then the husband's job is just even, is, is, is agonizing. So, think of this. Think of Jonathan's armor bearer. Think of this faithfulness here. There are other armor bearers in Scripture. You think of Saul's armor bearer and the awful situation he's put in of Saul commanding him to kill him. You know? But here's, here's this encouragement. Now, I mean, I didn't even get to the, the, the big details of what's going on in this passage, but, but Jonathan, you know, there, there are signs, there are ways that he, they're discerning the Lord's will in this, you know, but it's still, his, his mind is fixed on perhaps God will work through us. And then it's playing out and God gives them deliverance. It's, it's a miracle. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And there afterwards is Jonathan and his armor bearer's joy in one another and in the victory of God. That's ultimately what gives them joy is God has worked through them. God has worked through them. Um, it, it, it seems to me that Jonathan is an incredible man, probably surpassing King David in his faithfulness. Because everybody around Jonathan is loyal to him. And this armor bearer as well. But all for the glory of God, faith, faith that God is able to act and he may and regardless of the outcome, we will trust in him. But be, be an armor bearer. Okay, can I preach that? Be an armor bearer. We're all in these positions. I've got Michael. That's a good armor bearer to have. Right? It's really encouraging. But be that. Zeke, Maggie, children. Think about being an armor bearer and encouraging 
those around you that have responsibility. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for its encouragement. We thank you that we are reminded that of what is good because your word is truth. We thank you that we thank you that you will never leave us or forsake us. We thank you that you have given us Jesus and that he has faithfully carried us uh, through battle with sin. Lord, we thank you that he, he, he brought to end the victory of, of death and uh, has won. Lord, I pray that in situations that you've, you've called us in, whether it be marriage, whether it be in employment, whether it be uh, among friends, whether it be in government, wherever it may be, that we would be faithful armor bearers to those who bear responsibility. Where, where faith is needed, may we be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.